Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Elizabeth Dutton. Zarin. Damn glad to see you. I am so glad to see you. I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Do you know what's ridiculous? I do. Share it with a brother. Okay. Chocolate. It's ridiculously good. I'm with you. You love chocolate. I mean, in a ridiculous amount. You know, um, do you like truffles? Oh, like the chocolate covered? Yeah. Not the ones that not pigs find? Not the underground ones. Yeah, yeah, I like the ones that pigs don't find. Right. So the chocolatey ones. Yeah. You're into that? Kind of, whatever. I've well, got, so let's pretend I am. Have I got the truffles for you? <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> okay. Did you know that May 2nd is National Truffle Day? I did not. Yeah. I did not. We're recording this in May. Yes. Uh, mid, mid, late May. Mm-hmm. So um, to celebrate National Truffle Day, May mm-hmm. 2nd, put that in your calendar. Yes. Oh, let me get my pen. Go Miller ahead. High Life, <laughs> the champagne appears, is partnering with award-winning chocolatier and entrepreneur Philip Ashley to create Miller High Life Bar Snacks Truffles. Ah. A collection of great-tasting chocolate confections that toast to iconic flavors and memories made in bars everywhere. Mm. So they have, what is this, six flavors? You're going to tell me what they are, aren't you? Of course I am. Yeah, yeah. What are they, Elizabeth? Grilled cheese. Oh, God. So decadent triple cream cheese white chocolate ganache in a blonde chocolate shell. Uh Uh-huh. Lemon pepper chicken wing. What? An innovative fried chicken ganache infused with lemon pepper seasoning. (laughs) There's four more. Uh, pretzel, <clears throat> okay. pretzel praline. Uh-huh. That doesn't sound too crazy. No, nah, it sounds whatever. Beer nut. Okay. Freshly roasted peanuts soaked in the champagne of beers, then ground into our fragrant beer nut butter. Okay. And enrobed in a milk chocolate shell. Buttery popcorn. They're not even trying anymore. No. Sweet potato fry. Okay. You know that there's a company, or I guess like the whole champagne industry in France is currently trying to sue Miller for calling themselves the champagne of beer? <laughs> But you think about it, champagne is kind of the miller of wines. <laughs> just, well, I'm just saying. Let me one let me tell you one more thing. Sure. There is a final boss of truffles. Oh darn it. I was trying to Truffle derail it. Nut. Go on. Uh-huh. So both of these, both the Miller Light <laughs> yes. and the the one I'm about to tell you about, uh-huh. we've been getting a lot. Like a lot, a lot, a lot of really? messages about this. 
Uh-huh. Um, Compartes is a chocolatier. Okay. And they teamed up with Velveeta <laughs> <laughs> to create Truffvels, the first ever chocolate cheese truffle. Now, they may have a bone to pick with the Miller High Life. They got some cheese up in there. Yeah, they did. Truffvels. Uh-huh. Brings the deliciously creamy and iconic Velveeta drip to the world of Compartes or Compart. Like, one has the accent over the E at the end, Compartes or Compart, whatever. This place, the chocolate company, um, their gourmet luxury chocolate. For whatever reason, they're slumming with Velveeta. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, chocolate and Velveeta. Okay. You done? <sighs> no, I'm not done. Oh my and God, there's more. <laughs> they're made to look like, those don't look like normal truffles. They oh, look like shells. Mounds. They look like uh-huh. pasta shells. Wait, they look like pasta shells? Like they're little like macaroni and cheese? Did I stutter? No, you pasta did not. <laughs> like, like, you know, the shells that you like put. Like fancy macaroni the fancy and cheese. Che- okay. You know, if you're fancy and you use Velveeta in your macaroni and cheese. Oh man. Horf. Okay, there it is. Yeah, that qualifies 100% ridiculous, that <laughs> yes, one. Yes, thank you. If you got a second, I got something for you. Always. Okay. Do you know there was a once a two-week-long hostage crisis, complete with proof-of-life videos, fax communiques, release demands, a, a Patty Hearst-style kidnap victim siding with the kidnappers in the wildest part, Elizabeth? Mm-hmm. In the end, the kidnapping victim was put into a wood chipper. But it's okay. it's okay. It's okay. The victim was a college mascot, the Stanford tree. Oh, 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 I just went through such a roller coaster of emotions. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Elizabeth. Yeah, oh, nice. Look at that. <laughs> Jenks, okay, you are a Bay Area native. Yes, I am. You are from Oakland. Yes, I am. You have family who attended Cal. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm the I'm family shame because I didn't go to Cal like everybody else. Oh, it runs that deep. Yeah, I went to UC Davis. So multiple I went to members. what they call the farm school. Yeah, yeah, the Cal, mm-hmm. yeah, the farm to Cal. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where so they were. It's a superior school. Cal Davis for they the longest time. They say that out of uh, insecurity. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I like to imagine that you have a few thoughts and opinions about the big game. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Now, of course, around these parts, the Bay Area, that's the annual football game between longstanding rivals, Cal, Berkeley, and Stanford. Now, what do you remember the big game when you were a kid? Well, we always went. Did you? Yeah, we. Oh, could, so you've you witnessed. We'd this. walk over to the to the game growing up, okay, and then or um, my grandparents were Stanford fans and lived in Palo Alto. <laughs> nice. So, family division. I like yeah, it. Yeah, so I would go over a lot of times uh, to see them on that weekend and. Oh, just go to kind the of game. root against your Cal yeah, family? Yeah, of course. Like, come totally, like, <laughs> decked out in, in Cal gear and uh-huh. sit there with all the, the fine swells oh, wait, cheering you, for Stanford. You did it even crazier. I thought you were going to go basically side against your Cal family no, and go sit with the Stanford people. Never. You would take your Cal gear and yes. go sit with the Stanford people. Yes, I would. I like They're it. not going to fight a kid. No, no. I don't. Well, you don't know that. Well, I would have fought. Yeah. Back. <laughs> you Cal kids are crazy. Well, uh. There was, in the big game, I did a bunch of research on the big game because, uh, like, at one time, it used to be, like, a really big event in the Bay Area. And I was reading about how, quote, there was a time when the boosters took over San Francisco on the Friday night before the game with reports of pep bands playing from the roofs of streetcars. Oh, yeah. 
I was like, wait, what? Like, how <laughs> wild is that to picture? Going down like Market Street, just the streetcars and people are all these drunks are shouting and screaming and about Cal Berkeley. I yeah, guess. I guess. Or Stanford, probably more probably, likely. Probably, I think there was less to do then. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. When I first moved to NorCal, my family, the big game was still a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the dads and moms of all my friends, the really uh, pretentious ones, the ones who wanted <laughs> you to know they went to Stanford and Cal, they would go crazy big game weekend. They'd be driving around Davis with their cardinal red or their blue and gold. Is it blue and gold, right? Blue and gold. Yeah, not blue and yellow, blue and gold. No, okay. blue and gold. Yeah, now like, I, I'm like nine years old, right? So I'm like, sorry, I've never heard of either of your schools. I'm from SEC land. None. We don't talk about any of this, but I love your big game. This It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so to be fair, though, Cal had a good football team at one time. Mm -hmm. Like Aaron Rodgers went there. He was a yep. quarterback, Tony Gonzalez. like And Stanford, uh, they were also pretty good at times. <laughs> People have heard of them. Yeah, no, like they had good, you know, they had good co coaching. They have had good players. But these days, both teams are pretty bad. So the big mm -hmm. game, it's not so easy to get excited when they're one in five. I will tell you, everyone I know who went to Cal when their team is criticized mm -hmm. will say to a supporter of whatever other team, well, how many Nobel laureates do you have at your college? <laughs> That's how Cal rolls. <laughs> That's so Cal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, well, you know. I'm... Like, is there a, an element? On the periodic table of elements named after... Yeah, there's no Stanfordium. No. So, yeah, good point. No. You, you got us on that. Yes. And, and I got to say, uh, growing up in Davis, they, like, like kind of, like, basked in the, like, radiant glow that they were once attached to Berkeley because they, <laughs> really, they literally were the farm, exactly. the experimental farm for Berkeley. Then they yeah. became their own university. And they're always like, yeah, we're like Cal Davis. And you're like, that's so <laughs> no, cute. <laughs> Anyway, so the, it turns out that the big game, it, it used to be a big deal, and it's no longer such a big deal. Like, you don't even, these days, you can drive around the bay that weekend and yeah, not even tell, yeah. right? But uh, I thought it was because the teams got bad, and it was, that's not the case. It turns oh, really? out, and when I looked into it, it, it was uh, actually intentionally squelched. The big game and all the antics and everything we used to occur when we were kids, that's yeah. all been downplayed. And the reason why is because of the story I'm going to tell you about the 1998 Stanford tree kidnapping. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like that was the moment when the schools decided, you know, we need to put an end to all this fun. This is not going somewhere <laughs> well. Now, the uh, thing about the Stanford-Cal rivalry is it's really old, right? It's, yeah. It goes back. But also, so do their mascots. Their mascots have great stories to them. Question, Elizabeth. Yes. Do you know how the cow mascot is a bear, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you know that the first cow bear mascots were real bears? I did not know that. Yes. Like in 1930, the cow football team decided, uh, you know, what the hell? And they brought out a real bear as their school's mascot for games. Up till then, they really hadn't had a mascot. They're like, let's go hard, full bear. Mm -hmm. So they bring out a real life bear. The kids love it, right? So for five years, they got a real bear on the sidelines. But there's a problem, you know, with a real live bear, which is it's a real live bear. <laughs> so they had what they called control problems because oh, no. bears are notoriously bad football fans. They find the game boring, rather mundane, and they're like, look, I was, let me just uh, scratch somebody. You know, They so, have a right to do that. Yeah, I, I, I really, fully support that. No, I mean, I, I'm a hardcore football fan, so I have to disagree with the bears on this. But regardless, <laughs> six years later, right, 1941, the school trots out um, a man in a bear suit as the new mascot because mm -hmm. of the, all the control problems with mm -hmm. the live bear. Right now, when I say a bear suit, I'm being really generous. Yeah, this was the new mascot was a dude wearing an oversized sweater. <laughs> and add to this, he was just a big hairy fellow, pretty well, kind of. <laughs> but a picture a pair of gold shoes, okay. uh, specifically size 13 and a half, snazzy atop his head, he wore a bear head. Okay. But the bear head was just a football helmet with some fur stretched over it and some ears <laughs> stitched on, right? 
<laughs> but the kids, they loved it. They see this guy running around. <laughs> like I he, said, they didn't have a lot to do then. <laughs> exactly. They're like, oh, man, the guy in the sweater and the bear hat. This is amazing. Kids are cheering him on. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to give this guy a name. He starts calling himself Oski. Yeah. That's you, what they're you, still called. Yes. Yeah, so Oski the bear is born that day in 19... 19- whatever, 30, 41, wow. right? September, uh, September 41. It was. Okay. Okay. So the legend is born, Oski the bear. Now this bear, this man in the bear suit, nobody knew who it was for 58 years. Really? It's kept a secret for 58 years. It was a whole deal. Like it was the pride of being Oski. It was like, I, I don't the know. the anonymity of it? Yeah. So in 1999, a dude named William C. Rockwell, he comes forward and he confesses that he is Oski. But he'd only done it for a few years because he eventually put down the bear head and he went to war in World War II overseas, <laughs> Good right? for him. But he created such a legend that somebody else picked up the bear head. And, and they stayed can, anonymous. Yes. And then they just continued doing this tradition, I guess. And so there's even a secret society to, to this day that's dedicated to protecting the secret identity, whoever is the current Oski. Wow. I yeah. did not know that. They also safeguard the mascot itself. Did you have a mascot in high school, like a costume that people wore? Yeah, the Blue Devils, yeah. But it was very small. It was just like a trident and like a hat. It oh, was okay. not like a lot of we stuff. We were in high school. We were the monarchs, uh-huh. not butterflies. It like was the a, kings and queens? A, ty- a lion. Yeah. Oh, the king like of the, the jungle. Yeah. I got you. And there was a really busted up old lion costume uh-huh. with like... That it looked like it was made out of old carpet, and it was just oh, just tattered, faded and tattered, and I just smelled patches terrible. Patches of fur missing, and it was short, and mm-hmm. so like you had to get a short girl at in the <laughs> high school. So I went to high girls school, yeah. yeah. And so one di- one time, someone was a little tall for it, and mm-hmm. it didn't look comfortable. And the then, ankles are showing. Well, then Can't it's move just too like much. The, the torso; she had to like be oh, bent yeah. over all the time. So you don't rip the you yeah. stand up straight. And then it had this really bootsy hood and. My friend had a pink uh, bunny costume he used to wear down to bars sometimes. (laughs) Because he was his own mascot? Yeah, it's basically in a full pink bunny costume with the head and everything. (laughs) Very Donnie Darko. He'd take it off just to drink, they'd put it back on. (laughs) It was awesome. So anyway, Anyway. yeah, back to uh, Stanford. They also have a mascot. Uh, Obviously, it's the Stanford tree. So Mm -hmm. 45 miles south is Palo Alto, California, home of Stanford and the Stanford tree. Now, Stanford tree came along a little bit later. It was in, in 1930, back when Cal had the, its, its bear live mascot. Stanford had um, also a live mascot, but it was a person. It was a Native American man named Chief Lightfoot. Oh, that's right. I remember yeah. hearing about that they used to have it as what their what was their the Stanford Indians. Indians, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, the only good thing I can say about Chief Lightfoot is it was at least a real Native American. It wasn't like some rich kid in red face. Yeah. That's about the only <laughs> good thing God. we can say about this. But starting in 1930, Sam Year's cows with the Bears, they got Chief Lightfoot out there whooping and stomping and rallying the football team, and this. This he created a tradition, also very successful. Went on for decades. Finally, in the seventies, the school was like, "Hey, you know what? This is kind of mad racist. Maybe we shouldn't do this." <laughs> and so they're like, "You know, uh, maybe we shouldn't have like a living, breathing American as like our mascot. And, you know, it's not like a bear." Yeah. Anyway, so they're like, "Okay, that's the end of the Stanford Indians." So, nineteen seventy-two, Stanford changes its name of its school mascot to the Cardinals. Yeah, right? Yeah. Now, this is not because you know California is known for our Redbirds. We I don't have think no, we have. Cardinals we have no Cardinals. Yeah, no, yeah. like west of the Mississippi, it's hard to find them, right? right. But uh, the Cardinal was the school's distinctive color on their logo. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's us. We're the color, right? So this, it'd be like if they were the Stanford Millennial Pinks, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> the, like the Cal Chartreuse. You know? <laughs> anyway, so Cardinals uh, was meant to be a temporary name, right? So all through the 70s, they keep trying different names. The student body's voting. Someone suggests they would be called the Sequoias, right? And someone's like, yeah, yeah, you know, for the super tall trees. Now, uh, someone else is like, what about the Griffins? And then they're like, yeah, that's the, you know, the mythical 
lion with right. the winged creature, right? And someone's eventually like, yeah, Stanford Griffins? I don't know. So the, my favorite suggestion of this era was the robber barons. Because <laughs> <laughs> Stanford was founded by Leland Stanford, the yes. old railroad king robber exactly. baron. And how great would it be if a school of rich kids out there rooting for the robber <laughs> barons? Like, okay, maybe. Anyway, a whatever. Two on the nose. Eventually, some kids like, what about the Indians? And they're like, yeah, we love that. Like, they'd forgotten or else. Maybe the mood changed. I don't know. They were like, yeah, let's do that again. So eventually, the 80s come around. Still no mascot. And they're like, okay, well, let's go with, um, how about the uh, Cardinals? So they go back to the original temporary <laughs> name. But they decide, you know what? We can't have that. So it's unofficial. Stanford technically has no mascot. Oh, really? Yeah. But uh, anyway, there's the Stanford tree. Yeah. So the Stanford tree is not the school's mascot. He is a member of the school's band. And as such, he travels with the band. And he shows up at all of the school's athletic events, but especially the big ones like the big game. So to recap, we have a mystery human in a bear suit. That's uh, Oski. Uh-huh. And then we have a musical tree. Hmm. These are our mascots. Well, and isn't their band like, we're irreverent. What's that? Their band's all irreverent. Oh, yeah. Oh, the band's irreverent. Also, so is the musical tree. I was saying, like, they got out there and were all, hey, we're irreverent. Yeah, like, they're, they're, like, very tongue-in-cheek, Elizabeth. <laughs> they, they do a, this silly-looking tree. He wears sunglasses. He's got this big, goofy smile. Basically, the Stanford tree looks like someone's uncle managed to get a Christmas tree drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So now that we know our players, let's take a little break, and I will tell you how this turns into all sorts of violence. Oh, Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. 
Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, Elizabeth. Okay, Elizabeth. We have our bear and our musical tree. Yes. All right? They are the avatars of this rivalry. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now... As you would imagine, um, these the the bear and the tree have gone at it in the <laughs> yeah. past. Um, uh, in fact, also the fans have gone at it. But specifically here, I'll just go with a report from the Daily Cow. That's the newspaper mm-hmm. of the uh, Cal Berkeley, right? So the student paper recorded, quote, on February 15th, 1995, during a basketball game between the Bears and the Cardinals, the two mascots wrestled each other to the Maples Pavilion floor. The fight got so vicious that Oski's head came off for a brief <laughs> moment. However, the head was promptly restored and his identity remained concealed. Oh my god. There was a fight to keep him <laughs> from incredible. being known. So anyway, no one got to see the human inside the bear skin. The secret society would be happy. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, the Stanford tree, yeah, with the human that's inside the the, the Stanford tree, mm-hmm. he's well known on campus. It's the exact opposite approach. And it's oh. considered a position of honor to be the Stanford tree. And this is probably yeah. because it's uh, extremely dangerous for the person inside. Like there was a time in the mid-90s when Cal fans chased the tree off of the field at the end of the big game. <laughs> and they like narrowly escaped getting like, you know, I don't know, treed and feathered or whatever. Well, I was always told about in the early 80s, there was a thing called the play. Oh, yeah. That's that? when the band went on and the field. Yeah, that the band, yeah, the Stanford would, band thought the game was, was over. over. And they go on the field, then they get, and the players ran and threw uh-huh. the band to uh-huh. score. There's like just like, hitting a dude with a tuba, <laughs> knocking down a guy with a trombone. It was a, it's an amazing bit of footage. I highly recommend it. Uh, there was also another time in the 80s when the uh, tree wasn't so lucky, or sorry, the 90s when the tree wasn't so lucky. He didn't he didn't manage to get off the field before the fans got oh, to no. him. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, once again, I re- returned to the Daily Cow. Quote, at the 1996 big game, and Angry Cow fans once again stormed Memorial Stadium Field and targeted the Stanford tree. The tree was not so lucky this time as portions of the suit were dismantled. So they got their hands he, on the tree. Was he torn limb from limb? Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. But this time, now that they've gotten a taste of the tree, it's like a predator from the zoo who gets a taste of blood. <laughs> it's got the bloodlust. They want more trees. So the, 19, sap, the sap lust. Pretty much. I swear to God, 1997 big game, quote, a riot which saw 23 injuries and six arrests. Since these massacres, the Stanford tree has not been seen on the field for the fourth quarter of any big game. I do not remember any of this. This is crazy. <laughs> well, now we get to the 1998 Stanford tree <laughs> where it gets kidnapped. Oh, God. <laughs> so as you see it's been building and building yeah right well enter the phoenix five Hmm. yeah that's what the boys called themselves that's their group name the phoenix five now mind you these are not all students from phoenix arizona these are berkeley students and uh it's likely because you probably don't know this it's um, from marvel comic books there's something called the phoenix five you see elizabeth uh there was this group the x-men and five Mm -hmm. of them one time created their own subgroup called the phoenix five and you know what it doesn't matter so what you're (laughs) saying is that these guys are dorks yes so they're (laughs) dorks yeah so the tree nabbing group named for this subgroup of the x Ben. Uh-huh. Their individual members also had code names. So just like in Tarantino's film Reservoir Dogs, uh-huh. they used color-coded nicknames. So there were, but they didn't use the same ones of the film. So they okay. had Mr. White, Mr. Black, Mr. Green, Mr. Yellow, and Mr. Orange. Uh-huh. They wisely avoided the whole Mr. Brown and Mr. Pink debate. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, it, 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 it all makes more sense when you realize the Phoenix Five were all fraternity brothers. 
Oh, well, of course. Yes, the, in the frat Theta Chi. Mm-hmm. So one day, the frat brothers, they adopted to drive down to Stanford for, as they claimed, a brotherhood activity. I don't know mm-hmm. what that means. I don't I know don't if that means like, they were meeting other brothers from the Stanford campus at Theta Chi, or if they were doing like, oh, it's rush week, let's do a prank. I really don't know. But yeah. in quotes, brotherhood activities. Uh-huh. So what I can tell you is that the day was October 17th, 1998. The day the tree got October nabbed. 17th. So that 1998? Uh-huh. So we're... You trying to remember where you were? No, I'm thinking we're, what, uh, nine, eight, nine? Nine years after nine the, year after the, uh, after the, after the quake. Loma earthquake. Yes, exactly. Right I just now. hear October 17th. And you're and, like, go right to and it. And then, like, it's just the light comes through the, <laughs> the blinds, and I huddle over, and I hear a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> the Frenchman smoking a cigarette. Going, I have a thousand-yard uh, stare. Yeah. <laughs> so on the nine-year anniversary of the Loma Prieta quake, <laughs> yes. the, uh, the Stanford students were doing what they call cardinal chaos. Now, Mm -hmm. Cardinal Chaos, it's a big, silly name for the first practice of the season for the men's and women's basketball teams. (laughs) That's literally what it is. Anyway, so the Phoenix Five, they arrived for Cardinal Chaos, and they mingle in with the Stanford students who don't, I guess they may have their own secret names, whatever. So everyone's in there in the Maples Pavilion gym where the fight had happened two years earlier. Mm And the the frat bros are now officially undercover on the Stanford campus. And they're, like, trying to cause mayhem. And they're looking at each other, and they're kikiing in the stands and trying to go, we should do a prank. But they haven't dis- like discussed it at all. They haven't decided what type of prank they can do. They're imagining all the pranks they can do. They're inside of Stanford, but no opportunities present themselves. Uh-huh. So they're like, ah, let's leave. So Cardinal Chaos ends. They're like, they walk out of the stadium or the, the auditorium or whatever, the gym. Cardinal Chaos sounds like someone who would just, like, be an absolute terror in Vatican City. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So look out, it's Cardinal Chaos. <laughs> Coming in with the mad red. <laughs> oh, so the bros, they all head back to their car in the parking lot. Cardinal Chaos is ended. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, serendipity plays a hand because a Phoenix Five spot the Stanford tree. Yes, oh. the man inside the tree, Chris Henderson, was busy loading the Stanford tree into the <gasps> into his car. All right, a plan is quickly hatched. Follow that tree. So the bros all hop in their car and they follow Chris Henderson. So we're in Palo Alto, California, Stanford campus. The Phoenix Five are on the prowl. They follow Chris Henderson, and he's the you know the man in the tree. And they get all the way back to the Stanford band shack. Mm-hmm. Now the Phoenix Five park and they sneak up close. Henderson gets out and he goes inside the band shack. They get up close and what should they do? Elizabeth just rush in. Not Knock him out, take the tree. What's the plan? I have no idea. Well, they realize... Burn it down. <laughs> burn down the shack with him in <laughs> with it. With him inside, 1%. So there's, there's, it turns out they can hear music as they get closer. There's a party going on. The band shack is a-rockin', so don't come a-knockin', <laughs> right? So they decide, let's hide out, right? They can't blend in. It's too small. The band probably all knows each other. It's not be like, hey, I'm with Scott, man. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. So are these four guys. You know, it'd be yeah. weird. So they're like, okay, let's hide out. Let's wait. So... I did a bunch of research on this. As I told you, back in 2008, on the 10th anniversary of the kidnapping of the Stanford tree, the Daily Cow interviewed one of the members of the Phoenix Five, and he gave us valuable insights as to how they did everything, right? The school paper, he speak with Mr. Orange, right? Mm-hmm. Mr. Orange, he was a freshman at the time, youngest member of the prank crew. He recalled that fateful night. He remembered sneaking into the, the Stanford band shack. He said the group waited for to the small hours of the morning, Elizabeth, the purple hours, right? Uh, here's Mr. Orange, quote, of course, there could still be passed out drunk Stanford band members inside after the party ended. I remembered lots of nerves during that time when we really couldn't be 100% sure that there were no people left inside the building. So they're just like five nerds sweating it outside, right? This is dork on dork violence. <laughs> exactly. 4 a.m. rolls around. The coast is finally clear. Two of the Phoenix Five break into the band shack. The other three wait outside, keeping watch. Back to Mr. Cowards. Orange. Cowards. 
Quote, <laughs> it was pretty dark inside. Save a few neon signs, etc. I remember there being discussion about whether to abandon the whole thing. That's how tenuous it was. So yeah, I don't think I really thought too much about the craziness of the whole situation at the time. We were just focused on getting the job done without getting caught. Right? So mm -hmm. there's two dudes inside. They scramble through an old medical library. Uh -huh. Then they find a hole in a wall. They go through a hole in the wall and they squeeze into the band shack. They don't use like a door. They find like their own weird way. Boom. Uh -huh. They're inside the band shack. There's nobody passed out drunk on the ground. They're, they see the tree. They grab the tree. It's four in the morning. So they just walk out the front door now. They don't go back out to the medical <laughs> How library. How did they know there'd be a hole in the wall? They got but... lucky. They just purely uh -huh. get lucky. So now the Phoenix Five disappear with the Stanford tree into the purple hours of dawn. Huh. <laughs> gone. <laughs> All right. So now they successfully walked out with Stanford's mascot. What do they do, Elizabeth? Uh, do they go uh, racing safely back to Cal? Burn it down! <laughs> <laughs> you, always with the fire. Well, luckily, Mr. Orenty tells us what he did. Quote, even though we managed to get our hands on the tree in the very early hours of the morning, this didn't mean that there couldn't be random students walking by, cops passing by on the street, etc. In fact, we actually did see a cop car pass as we were planning things out behind the band shack. Mm. Ooh, danger, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> but anyway, their plan to get away is, let's stuff the Stanford tree into the backseat of the car and just tear ass out of here. Yeah. But they can't get five people and the Stanford tree into, like, whatever <laughs> Whatever little car they have. So Sorry, as Mr. Mr. Orange <laughs> recalled, quote, remember it was a nine to 10 foot tall costume with a ton of material, even though it was a somewhat collapsible. I don't know about the other guys, but I more or less felt like it was a mission that we had to accomplish in the stealthiest way possible. We were very aware that we were in hostile territory. Oh, God. Take a little serious, right? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so the frat bros decide they have a plan to make it right, right? So they shove the tree in the back of the car. Two bros hop in. They drive off. Apparently, I think one of their family members lives in Palo Alto because mm. they went to a, quote, safe house. And then they tucked <laughs> the tree, right? And then they're like, look, just be cool, right? And then they, then they drive back and... They get back to the three camp the three kids they left on campus. They load them in the in the car. Boom! They leave Palo Alto back to Berkeley to get another car. And then they come back, get the tree, and go back to Berkeley, and then they finally manage to sneak it into the frat house. And then they just go into, I believe, Mister Black's room and just shove huh. it in the back. Okay. Right. Lots of shoving of this just poor tree. Shoving it. So now they've successfully stolen the Stanford tree. So what do they do now? I have no idea. Well, based on all the prank wars and the fights and the riots that have been leading up to it, they wait for the chaos to erupt. <laughs> so all hell they know will break loose. First up, they decide, okay, well, it's... Um Let's just not tell anybody anything. They don't even tell their other frat brothers what they've done. They keep it secret. The Phoenix mm -hmm. Five, hush, hush, right? Mm -hmm. So they wait. A week passes, right? And... uh Turns out the police decide to investigate this as a break-in and robbery, and they label it as a felony. This means years in prison are being discussed by the police. What's, I mean, the, what's the value of the tree? Did they ever get oh, it? Oh, yeah. They, they okay. get into that. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second. Yeah. So the Phoenix Five, they're laying low. Superheroes hiding out in their secret lair or whatever. And as I told you, they told no one, told no one right? Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually... Stanford Daily Newspaper, a week after the crime, they publish a feature story, Stanford tree stolen, you know, and they, of course, they immediately assume it's Cal students who are behind the, sure. tr the tree hate crime, right? Chris Henderson, the uh, guy inside the tree, he tells the student paper that he'd seen three or four people following him around outside the Maples Pavilion parking lot. <laughs> 
Why is it always three to four people? Three is it a, do human beings have a hard time <laughs> counting past three when it's we're yes. under stress? We're like, it's three. Yes. I'm going. Everything's blurring. Oh, no. Three, four. Three, possibly four. I can't say. Like, sir, it was eight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, every time we hear this, it's amazing. That number is never five to six, no. never two to three. It's always three to four. Always. Anyway, guy in the tree, Chris Anderson, he tells the press he'd noticed these three to four guys who'd fo- followed him to the Stanford band shack, probably college students. And now the finger of blame is squarely pointed at Cal. So the story is out there. The Phoenix Five decide, let's reveal ourselves. Mm -hmm. So they step into the limelight. Three days after the Stanford paper breaks loose, the Daily Californian prints their front page story, a feature interview with the Phoenix Five. The pranksters lord their people-powered success over the private students of Stanford. They uh, claimed that they liberated the tree. They said the tree had been unhappy at Stanford and that and now that it's been at Cal, it's learned the value of hard work and diversity and the true spirit of a campus. <laughs> Meanwhile, the tree also has, by the way, penned an open letter. So there is a letter from the tree also in the paper. The Stanford tree reportedly uh, writes, quote, I'm sick of the farm. The Phoenix Five have introduced me to the outside world. Now, once he'd seen the outside world and Cal and he he had opinions on the two schools, and the tree then declared, quote, Cal, a superior university, Stanford, an inferior one. <laughs> so they're using the tree for their propaganda at this point. The tree also claimed that it was thankful to be free of Stanford and its snotty, rich kid private school students, however briefly. Uh-huh. And uh, the tree also promised that it would be back on the Stanford sideline before the big game, quote, even though he knows that Stanford is full of a bunch of weenies. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the 10-year anniversary look back, the Daily Cow, they asked Mr. Orange why the Phoenix Five decided to go down the hostage-taken route as the <laughs> uh, their communication with the world, right? Mr. Orange said, quote, as far as the hostage-taker deal is concerned, I think there was an initial meeting where we planned all these things out, i.e. the name of the group, sending in the initial letter and the picture to the Daily Cow. Remember, everything happened extremely fast. And we took the tree. Nothing happened for almost an entire week until the story broke in the Stanford Daily. Then we had to act quickly to demonstrate that the tree was on the Cal campus and to dissuade others from claiming responsibility, of course. As smart Theta Kai's, we had to come up with the wittiest approach. We had lots of fun writing that first letter in the persona of the tree, trying to trash Stanford in the best way possible. Oh my God. So now that we have this story in the student paper from Stanford and now one from Cal... The other people decide to take this very seriously. The people that I'm talking about are the police and the school administration. Oh. So UC Berkeley Chancellor Robert Birdall, he comes in hot and heavy. He had obvious motives because, you know, as the head of the university, he'd overseen now a few years of fights and pranks. They've grown more intense. Now he's got a riot. And then this year, he's got a kidnapping. So yeah. he's like, I'm starting to look bad, right? <laughs> a little bit. So he also imagined that come the big game, Stanford fans would be walking past, as you know, all the Cal fraternity road mm-hmm. to get to up to the, the stadium and that they would probably be eager to fight the bros. The bros would probably be eager to fight. And then he'd have, once again, an even bigger riot. Maybe yeah. somebody would get hurt or, you know, whatever. So... He comes out with a tersely worded statement. He called the prank, quote, outright theft. And the chancellor announced that the police would be brought in. He also issued an ultimatum. He told the tree nappers had until the big game to return the stolen tree or else. (laughs) Well, it's else. (laughs) Yeah, so the or else, the the Phoenix Five were like, well, what would happen if we don't do? So the chancellor, he had an answer for that. He said that the cow mascot, Oski the Bear would be barred from the next Cal game against Oregon State. 
Three nappers had three days to act. Oh, no. Or else. So <laughs> he was prepared to kidnap a mascot of his own, yeah, darn it. Yes, mascots so, for mascots. Yeah, so anyway, the mascot theft, this becomes news far beyond the universities, the student populations. The Bay Area newspapers start reporting on it. The TV stations start reporting on it. The story gets bigger and bigger. Then it becomes national news. Eventually, Sports Illustrated is writing about it. Oh, whoa. Days are passing. The deadline approaches. Would the tree resurface, right? So the Bay Area news teams, they send cameras out to report live from the University of Cal on the day of the midnight deadline. Uh They wait with the police department, and they waited, and they waited some more. No tree. (laughs) So instead, there was a news conference broadcast live from an elementary school parking lot. Okay. After this break, I'll tell you all about that news conference. (laughs) Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Elizabeth, I promised you a news conference. Yes, you did. You've been waiting on bated breath, I know. Elementary school parking lot, I am here for it. You know what? Rather than us just discuss it, look, just close your eyes, girl. (gasps) My eyes are closed. Picture it. It's nighttime in the Bay Area. The autumn breeze is brisk. You are growing cold, standing in an empty parking lot of an elementary school in the Oakland Hills. 
Elizabeth, you are a camera woman from the local Fox affiliate, KTVU Channel 2. You've been sent out on assignment to record a press conference with the Phoenix 5. You have rigged a two-camera setup for the live feed. One camera is on sticks. That's industry talk for a tripod. The second camera is a shoulder-mounted job that you plan to use for close-ups and some wild coverage of the late-night press conference. There are no other media outlets there, just you, the KTVU Channel 2 reporter, five college-age guys wearing Halloween masks and balaclava ski masks, and they are holding captive a 10-foot-tall tree costume, the Stanford Tree. That's the reason you're in this elementary school parking lot. You rack the focus and you set a clean image of Mr. Green, spokesman for the Phoenix Five. The KTVU reporter steps into the shot. Okay, let's do one. She raises the mic into the shot and asks Mr. Green, how is the tree? The Stanford tree is still unharmed and he tells the reporter how it's fine and you can see for yourself this Phoenix Five dragged the Stanford tree into the shot. The masked man promised that the tree has been treated well, as you can see, and further, it would be returned to the weenies at Stanford before the big game. You try to squelch a little laugh at their jokes, but they go on. And as they say, truth be told, the tree may never want to return to Stanford now that it's seen life outside the private school. The frat bros talk a little more smack. Then they laugh and they start to dance around with the Stanford tree. You now have to swivel around to keep your shot as the Stanford tree and the frat bros are dancing around in the parking lot. Now you really can't help but smile. It's become just ridiculous. You're also getting colder by the minute. The news reporter is still trying to do a straight interview with the tree kidnappers, but it's pretty much impossible now that the frat bros have broken into dance. It's like a real live crime musical. <laughs> the reporter asked when the Phoenix Five plan to return the tree to the students of Stanford, but the Phoenix Five just laugh and keep dancing around with the Stanford tree. You wonder how much of this you have to shoot before you can just load up the cameras and go, because you want to go home, crawl back in bed, and watch reruns of your favorite Barrya show, Restaurant Review. Check, please. Yes. As the cold evening air chills your cheeks, you long for your pillow. The reporter gives you the signal. This interview is done. You pack up as the frat bros continue to dance around the parking lot with the tree in their stolen glee, the mascot dancing with them in their wicked revelry. They're busy making memories. They are. Yeah, they well, are. that proof of life video gets broadcast by KTVU around the bay. It's another outsized reaction to follow. Enter the Stanford police. They uh-huh. don't see the humor in this. A man by the name of Captain Raoul Niemeyer steps forward. The Stanford police captain, he makes public comments of his own. He says... He goes to the news meeting and he says, the Stanford tree is practically priceless. Remember you asked me how much it was oh, yeah. worth? He puts a dollar amount on it. Practically, pra- practically priceless. priceless. But if a monetary value <laughs> were to be assigned yes. to the tree, it would be worth well over $1,000. <laughs> practically priceless. <laughs> now, I, know I got a price. For most people, $1,000 would not sound like very much, but it does qualify the theft as grand larceny, which mm. makes it a felony. Mm. So the Phoenix Five are looking at real prison time if Captain Niemeyer has anything to well, say about it. it's outside it. of his jurisdiction. Well, the humorless cop went on to say, if you do the crime, you do the time. Oh, so, you're kidding. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, the Bay Area newspapers, the TV stations, they continue to cover the story because now they got one with real legs and it's running. <laughs> so, in fact, they become a part of the story. Uh, ransoms get raised, one by a local newspaper, another by a sporting good company. They promise if the tree is returned unharmed, they will donate $50,000 to a local Christmas tree charity. A Christmas tree charity? Yeah, like later down the year. What, for like homeless Christmas trees? To to get trees homes, Elizabeth. Get these trees a home, if only for three weeks. Christmas trees? No, I think it's to give them out to people who can't afford Christmas trees. It's Christmas tree awareness. Yeah, it's a really, it's a whole week, you know, tie and like a little ribbon you put Mm -hmm. on the tree. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, guy inside the tree, remember him, Chris Anderson? Yeah. He jumps forward again. He speaks out. I kind of wish he was in the tree the whole time. <laughs> he's had en- He does, too. <laughs> he has had enough. He get, becomes really aggressive for a man who's best known as the bone structure of a tree. He, uh, <laughs> ben- Henderson, he releases his own statement to the press. Mm-hmm. As the guy inside the tree, he mocks the tree nappers, and he tells the, the Phoenix Five, quote, stop talking to a pile of fabric and show a little backbone. So he's oh, willing to, like, fight over the tree. <laughs> now, the students from both campuses, you may be wondering, what did they think about this prank yeah. war? Well, most of them thought it was harmless fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, some just wanted it to all go away. Others were like, who knows, who cares? Right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they took your approach. But there was one Cal student I found, a freshman on the rugby team, Teddy Miller. Uh, he admitted that he was no big fan of Oski, the Cal, Cal mm-hmm. mascot. He said, quote, I'm pretty lukewarm about him. Right? <laughs> but my favorite part is that he went, went on and he wanted to make sure that he could kind of run down the handshake of Oski. He said, uh, back to Teddy Miller, and he's got wet hands. I shook hands with him two or three times in my life and every time I've had to wipe my hands on my pants. Oh Wait, he's shaking his hand more than once. Yes, like, he's met the so bear. Just try it he's again. Like, I'll, I'll give him another chance. So win me over. Nope. Darn it, Oski, this is your third chance. It's the last one. Three strikes, you're out, bear. Well, I mean, the guy is in like a fur suit. Well, yeah. He's allowed to have sweaty hands. I'm, who doesn't like a moist bear? Really? You know? I mean, come on. So, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to the grill again. Mm-hmm. The grill again, Elizabeth. Uh, where were we? That's right. Stolen tree. <laughs> yes. Uh, a chancellor was threatening to abduct our mascot, uh-huh. right? To abduct his own mascot to get back right. at the school, right? right? And the students, what did they think about that part of the whole mascot kerfuffle? Like, were they like, I think the administration's being a little silly. Like, out of anybody, they're being the ridiculous ones. Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell you this much. Uh, some of the students pointed out that this was a 57-year-old, sweaty, clammy-handed bear mascot who really gives a darn, right? Right. So, uh, like, you know, Teddy Miller would be proud of these students. But anyway, setting aside all the empty threats to Oski, uh, what about the more real threats of felonies that the Niemeyer's throwing around for the students? Would that apply pressure? Would the other students come to them like, hey, man, you can't make making Theta Chi look bad or whatever? <laughs> Right, well, back to Mr. Orange from the Phoenix Five, because he says that basically the dudes in the frat house were trying to be, you know, cooler than Keanu Reeves in a pretend gunfight. <laughs> so, as Mr. Orange said, quote, in all honesty, we knew that no one had a clue who we were at the outset. We got the tree without anyone seeing us, so the whole police investigation was a big sham. They claimed that they had stopped a car with five Cal students on campus that night, but to this day, I don't know whether that actually happened or if it was just some attempt to get us out into the open. Oh. Right, because Niemeyer comes forward, he's like, oh, we're going to check the DMV because we pulled over these yeah. students. And they're check like, away. well, go for it. It wasn't us. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so other than the police tricks, uh, what did the boys' parents think? Because, like, you know, if they're going to get kicked out of school or go to prison over a stolen bear, I mean, mm-hmm. I think my parents would be mad pissed. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Well, Mr. Orange uh, once again said, quote, cooler heads prevailed. Now, he also said, quote, I think out of the five, I was the one who felt the least amount of pressure. I was a 17-year-old freshman not living at the house. I was a minor in the legal sense and not around the actual tree on a regular basis since it was being kept at the house for a while. The older guys in the group obviously felt more pressure as time went on, as more people were finding out about our involvement. So, yeah, now that they got, like, the circle is swelling, somebody's got a snitch on them. So our youngest of the crew, Mr. Orange, he's now 
not feeling the same pressure as the older guys, right? He wants to keep the tree. He's like, let's run this table, man. And I quote once again from him, quote, there were major discussions concerning whether to return the tree. I was lobbying to hold on to it until the big game. Take it on a road trip. But the older guys <laughs> in the group probably had better information on exactly how close we were to being discovered. So yeah, we never did get close to being caught. And I'm pretty sure we could have held out a little longer and done more fun things with the tree. But again, as the youngest, I wasn't in the best position to make the important decisions. Decisions. Oh, man. <laughs> Mr. Horn's storytelling kills me. So at this point, in the kidnapping ordeal, right, some of the tree nappers facing serious life-changing penalties. Uh, Mr. Horn's like, he tells like, oh, well, I'll just leave it to him because I, I don't want to. He tells mm-hmm. the story so well. Okay. Here we go. One was up for a big scholarship. Mr. Yellow could have been deported. At least that was the claim. Oh, so even though I was really disappointed that the tree was returned after such a short period of time, I can understand they were coming from. So now apparently there's threats of deportation <laughs> for various members of the Phoenix Five. So yeah. that's a bit of a rough one, getting kicked out of Cal because of a stolen tree. Yeah. Anyway, the big game comes. So, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. is there going to be a tree? Mm, no. On the day before Halloween... Two weeks after the theft of the Stanford tree, and after the original missed ultimatum and deadline, a call comes into the UC Berkeley Chancellor's office. On the line is a representative for the Phoenix Five. He claims that he knows where the Stanford tree is, and he reports that it is fine, unharmed. And better yet, he would return it to the Chancellor's office, but on one condition. Amnesty for the thieves. Oh, right? Okay. Yeah, total. So the Chancellor agrees to the terms. Yeah. And the Stanford Dean of Students also agrees to the terms. At 4 p.m., an older man described as, quote, older than a normal student who <laughs> identified himself only as Richard walked into the <laughs> chancellor's office. In his hand was a plastic bag. In that plastic bag was the 10-foot-tall Stanford tree. He handed over the kidnapping victim to the chancellor's assistant. The bag gets opened. The Stanford tree is inspected. There's indeed no damage. Oh, well, except for, well, there was no real damage, right? It's just like, oh, it's a little bit wet. You know, they're like, it's kind of smelled moldy or whatever, right? So the, the uh, it's confirmed. Richard walks off, never has to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. UC Berkeley police, they seize the tree. Officers escort it back down to Stanford in a blue Ford Taurus. Yes. <laughs> the police reported <laughs> that during the trip, the Stanford tree was, quote, very well behaved and very cordial and polite. Oh, everyone's a jokester More on this. More cop <laughs> humor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, once it's back at Stanford, the administration performed a second examination because they want to make sure they got the right tree. Uh-huh. Like, can't be trying to like, you know, push no fake trees on us here. We ain't no <laughs> punk over Sanford. Anyway, former guy inside the tree, the not the one currently, but a former one, Chris oh. Carey, he is apparently on hand for the examination. Uh-huh. So he later would tell the press, quote, he looks okay. He looks a little skinny, but we'll put him back on a diet of steroids and wheatgrass and he should be okay for the big game. Are you kidding? <laughs> So now for a publicity stunt, <laughs> Carrie tries on the tree in the office, decides it's fine, it's fit, so there's no problems with it. Then another Stanford student who shows up in a, quote, tree protective services shirt, handcuffs the Stanford tree and declares that the tree is now under his protection and walks away. <laughs> the police chief, Niemeyer, he also adds his two cents, the original joker. He says, quote, that the tree was going to be secured in our evidence room, which is alarmed, and we do have armed deputies there. Oh, my God. So, I got to say, threatening to shoot someone in order to protect a trash bag filled with a tree costume Uh is so very American. So very. So once the school had its uh, tree back... Stanford administration agrees, what's, we're, not gonna dro- we're dropping all charges, mm-hmm. you know, the criminal content, 
all all of it's out the window, right? Meanwhile, Chancellor Birdall from Berkeley, he gives an interview and he says to the Daily Cow that he found the prank to be, quote, pretty funny in a sense, <laughs> and that the Phoenix Five operated, quote, with a degree of wit and charm, end quote. But again, he reiterated that his imagined fears of riots and murders happening because of the stolen tree. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, a prank like that could lead to real violence. Now, finally... The Phoenix Five, they got to have the uh, last say. Just before they handed over the hostage tree, they faxed in a communique that blamed, quote, a hostile climate for their choice to return the tree. They added, quote, gone are the days of healthy rivalry in which students of opposing schools could pull pranks on each other in the name of school spirit. (laughs) Now, later on for the big game edition of the Daily Cow, the Phoenix Five were again given a platform. They said, quote, we wanted to pump up the rivalry, make it a cow spirit thing and poke fun at Stanford with a rivalry like this, you got to live in it. You've got to do something with it. Otherwise, why bother having it? That's a good point. Right? So to have the last laugh, the next year, the 1999 edition of The Big Game, The Daily Cow ran a story that featured a photo of the Phoenix Five revealing their identities for all the world to see. And why not? They gotten away with it and they got amnesty. Meanwhile, there was Stanford's response to this whole tree kidnapping kerfuffle. A little while after the Stanford tree was returned, the Stanford band brought it out for the Stanford-USC game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big one, yeah, too. Yeah, private school on private school. Rich mm-hmm. kids on rich kids, right? <laughs> and uh, they go out there to pump up the crowd. The band at halftime, the uh, band wheels out a wood chipper. And the Stanford band, they claimed that their fellow band member, the Stanford tree, had been, quote, contaminated by its time with the public school students of UC Berkeley. <laughs> and in order to purify the now soiled Stanford tree, they shoved this tree headfirst into the wood chipper. Boom, Stanford what? tree is no more. Just a pile of Stanford toothpicks. They killed their so, own tree. But boom, all of a sudden there's a surprise. Out comes a new Stanford tree revealed to be better and purer. Oh, so, cleaner. Now, when he was asked about Stanford's uh, choice to, you know, destroy their own tree in a wood chipper, old Mr. Orange had this to say really took a liking to us after spending some time in Berkeley, and we kind of got attached to it as well. So a slow, painful death wouldn't have been appropriate. But even though the Ferdies felt it necessary to put it through a wood chipper, I'm sure the process was a quick one and the suffering was minimal. I still don't understand why they do that to their own mascot, but nothing really surprised me is about Stanford or its students. <laughs> oh, the smart kids versus rich kids to war. There it is, Elizabeth. That's what you it. missed in the late 90s. I- while totally you were away. <laughs> so what's our ridiculous takeaway? Um, I think that, again, dork on dork violence is always entertaining. <laughs> it's no Texas versus a and Well, that's what right? I was say. They're worried about riots. It's like, honey, take a look at what could happen. <laughs> yeah. like, Go down to look at Texas, what they do. They <laughs> called in the military. Texas means business. <laughs> they had hunters shooting at people. <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, as much as I roll my eyes at, at all their like dorky humor about yeah. it. Um, I do appreciate this kind of stuff. I think it's, you know, we need these kind of dramatics to keep totally. things interesting. Better that than serious problems. And it creates a sense of community. And, you know, obviously, as long as no one really gets hurt, you know, I think these things are fun. And it's always, once again, the imagined fears that yep. we, we lose things because of what someone imagines, not because of what occurred. Yeah. So so you said that now they squash it down. Yeah, they, they play out all that they do not. They, ever since then, they've always said, because it's uh, there have been other pranks since then, and mm-hmm. then they've always threatened police. 
police action and legal consequences. They've they followed the hard line ever since then. Mm-hmm. So ever since Birdall, Chancellor Birdall put down, we're, this is serious theft. We're bringing in the cops. Ever, it's always been that. Oh, Before that, fun. that was not the case. Yeah. It's always like, you guys. Well, let's go over and encourage them to do it again. <laughs> Bring it back. I say we go steal it. All right, this let's ridiculous do it. crime steals Oski. Yeah. <laughs> Both Oski and, and the Stanford tree. tree. And yeah. then we make them kiss. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's it. That's all I got for you. That's excellent. Well, thanks for listening. You can find us online always at Ridiculous Crime on Twitter and on Instagram and on the internet at RidiculousCrime.com. Um, you know, we got all sorts of stuff. We got stories on the Instagram. We got posts and stuff on Twitter. And we got the TalkBack app on iHeart. Yeah. Uh, so download that and you can send us messages. You can talk at us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Also, if you want to email us, uh, RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. We always like hearing from you. Thanks for listening. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by our man with the chipper, Dave Kustin. Research is by Marissa the Tree Doctor Brown and Andrea the Lawyer Song Sharpentier. Our theme song is by Thomas. I prefer to smoke them trees. Lee and Travis. <laughs> Go Bears! Dutton. Executive producers are Ben. They should have been the robber barons. Bolin and Noel. My lawyer went to Stanford. Brown. Ridiculous. Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.